0: You are listening to Danvers Audio, a podcast by the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood.
1: Thanks for listening. All right, Grant Castleberry here with a new episode of Danvers Audio, and I have Denny Burke in the studio. Denny, good to see you, man. Well, hey, I wanted to pick up where our interview last time left off and just kind of talk a little bit about you and just kind of what you're doing right now and so I thought we'd talk a little bit about this commentary you're working on on the Pastoral Epistles if you could kind of share a little bit about that. Sure. Um
0: so <laughs> um I've been working on a commentary on the Pastoral Epistles and um it's very relevant to the gender issue for obvious reasons because the most contested text in the entire gender debate is arguably 1 Timothy 2.12. And so um, in advance of the the commentary, I'm still not finished with it yet, but um, in advance of that, there was a new edition of uh, Schreiner and Kostenberger's book that mm-hmm. came out, and um, I did an entire chapter on 1 Timothy 2.12 uh, for that book. So first Timothy two twelve in English translation. So that project
1: kind of dovetailed in with this one a little bit. That's called Women in the Church. Is that, that is that, that the name that of that book? book? Yeah,
0: the third edition of that book. So first edition came out in ninety five, second edition oh five, and then the third edition in uh two thousand six and um this is an additional chapter that wasn't in the previous editions.
1: And you're also preaching through that as, as you go at, at Kenwood Baptist Church, correct? Yeah,
0: you know, and I find that to be helpful. Um, it's I think it's good to keep in mind that we're not reading the Bible just to uh, figure out a system, but we're figuring out um, a system of doctrine because it relates to life. And uh, preaching through the Scripture and, and applying it to my life and to the people in my church's lives— um, it makes an enormous difference, I think, in the way that you read Scripture.
1: So just for young pastors out there listening, what would be maybe a couple takeaways after you've been studying the pastoral epistles just that you would you would give them and encourage them with?
0: Well, I mean, gosh, where to start? Um, probably the most obvious thing is just the constant vigilance that we have to have against false teaching. mm mm-hmm. That's what Paul is is talking to Timothy about in, in these books. There's false teachers that have infiltrated the church, and they're influencing the church for ill, and, and among other things, Paul is saying that the church has to have faithful pastors who can speak to that, and if men are unwilling to face error and confront it, then they are not uh, ready for the work of being a pastor. Um, it's not the only thing that it says in those books about being a pastor, but it's one of those things, is confronting error. And I just think that in every generation, we're facing threats to the, to the truth, hmm. and we have to be vigilant about those things. And we can't shirk our responsibility to um, preach the Bible faithfully and to call God's people to the truth of, of the Word. And so we just see that in so many areas today where false teaching is coming into the church from the outside, sometimes emerging from within, and it has to be confronted, and it has to be done so directly. And then, of course, the other thing is that Paul is constantly telling Timothy to preach the Word, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, in other words, he's calling him back to the apostles' teaching, which for us is handed down in the New Testament, and then, um, of course, we have the Old Testament, but in other words, it's a word-based ministry, and we never graduate from the Bible, as it were. No one's ministry matures past the Bible. The work of pastoral ministry is the work of biblical exposition. And so, um, so yeah, I've, it's just been a wonderful study, and, and I've enjoyed it immensely.
1: You mentioned threats to the church, and obviously there is so much out there we could talk about just— threats in, in terms of what's taking place with the sexu- sexual revolution. But in terms of that, what do you, what do you see the biggest uh, thing, the biggest threat that pastors actually need to be on guard against right now?
0: I don't know if you could say, if I could locate, if I could identify one thing as the biggest threat, I do think that the uh, probably the front edge of the church's conflict with the world right now does have to do with sexuality and gender issues, because, and I say the church, I'm talking now from a North American, specifically American context, things are different in different places around the world, but where we are, we are reaping the fruits of the sexual revolution right now, and what the Bible teaches about sexuality and gender is being contested so fiercely now
1: Mm
0: -hmm. in the wider culture that to say what the Bible teaches on these things uh, makes you unpopular but more than that, it's increasingly becoming something that we're going to uh, be taking our hits for, and you know, just—and I'm not talking about me uh, as a pastor and as a seminary professor. I'm talking about people in my church. Mm. Just holding to a biblical view of marriage, for instance, is costly for people who are working in an office. And there's an inter-office party for the same-sex couple that has just gotten married, and everybody's expected to be there, and you know my church member says well I can't celebrate that you know yeah. and, and in other words th- these are like very practical things that have happened with members in our churches and they're already feeling the social pressure some of them professional pressure and so our witness here is is so crucial and sometimes it's going to be costly for us and what I've seen is that there's a tremendous amount of pressure mm-hmm. for Christians to sort of um basically lighten up on what the Bible teaches about these things so that you don't have to face that conflict. And there's a tremendous amount of pressure in the name of tolerance and all these other things mm-hmm. to sort of lessen what the Bible teaches, blunt the force of it, and to accept new categories of marriage that never existed in the Bible, and um, or new definitions of gender, for instance, that that are, of course, directly contradictory to the Bible so um our our people are feeling the the uh the weight of that, mm-hmm. so um the sexual revolution has come home to roost, and um we are gonna have to face it with faithfulness,
1: yeah, I mean, what do you think the future is gonna look like for the North American church on this? do you think that there's gonna be a divide? do you think that there's gonna be a consensus, like what's your Take on kind of where this is going in terms of just the different evangelical groups out there. Do you think that we're going to be able to maintain a evangelical front here? Or? Well,
0: I do think that you're going to see a divide among people who have flown under the banner called evangelical. Mm-hmm. So for for many years, um, all that has been called evangelical has not been necessarily evangelical in reality. <laughs> In other words, we've had a lot of cultural Christianity yeah. in in North America. And as a result of that, um, you've got a lot of things that fly under the banner of Christian that aren't really Christian. It's kind of like what you know, what you see in the um in the in the pastoral epistles where Paul talks about people who hold to a form of godliness but deny its power. There are some of the external accoutrements of religion, but the reality or the substance of it is missing. But sometimes um, those the, that 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 the reality is missing doesn't become exposed until there's pressure, mm-hmm. and so I think this conflict with the culture over over these issues of gender and sexuality are going to reveal. Mm. They're going to reveal those who are willing to go forward with what Scripture says, even if it's unpopular, and they're going to reveal those who aren't. Mm-hmm. And so we've already seen some departures, um, you know, people going out basically from what the Scriptures teach and they're redefining the faith to accommodate um, a sexual morality that the Bible um, condemns Mm. and that the Bible doesn't allow, and that's not compatible with following Jesus. So I do think there's a division that is happening right now. It's not in front of us. It's actually happening right now, and I don't think it's altogether bad, frankly. Mm. I think it, it needs to happen, and I think that we need to be tested in this way.
1: So you're talking about this division happening right now. What has encouraged you in terms of the evangelical movement that or maybe surprised you that that you hadn't foreseen? Like what's what's been encouraging?
0: Well, just examples of faithfulness when people do stand and do stand together. And um you know, I'm really encouraged by church members even in my own church who are not asking me, you know, whether they should believe what the Bible says and be faithful to it, but they're asking, how can I be faithful to Scripture and love my neighbor? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, examples of faithfulness and conscientious concern for neighbor love and for how to be faithful to Jesus all at once, those things are extremely encouraging to me. And um, and there are people, there are faithful Christians across the country. We may be in a minority, but we're still here. And... um Those expressions of faithfulness, I think, are deeply encouraging.
1: So speaking of just, you know, not evangelical leaders or pastors, but you mentioned just the members of your church, Um, how can you encourage them? How can pastors encourage them to faithfulness in their marriages and parenting in light of all of this sexual revolution taking place? Like what would you say to just Christian parents right now to encourage them?
0: Well, for Christian parents, I don't think there's um, any—we need to do some very simple and ordinary things right, which means we need to attend to what the Scriptures teach us about what it means to be a man and a woman, what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife, and husbands need to think of their lives as um, that God has called them to a position of leadership in their families to lead, to protect, and to provide, and to do so not for their own sakes, but to do so for the sake of their wife and whatever children God may bring, and so that they view their lives as a venue for Christ to live his life over again through them. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we hold to that the Bible teaches headship, right? Headship does not exist so that men can, you know, do whatever they want. It exists so men can lay their lives down and image Mm -hmm. forth Christ. So that's kind of an everyday laying down of your life for the sake of others. And it's a simple thing, it's a quiet thing, but it's a powerful thing that accumulated over over a lifetime um, has a tremendous transformative effect, not only in a person's family, but in their church and in their community. So Christians have got to be salt and light by being faithful to what God's called them to in their mm-hmm. own families. So husbands, you got to know what it means to be a husband. You got to be like Jesus. Wives, you got to know what it, what it means to be a wife, what it means to be a mom, and the the special role that God has given to be um, vice regents under Jesus, along with their husbands, mm-hmm. um, but also to be a helper within that relationship. And to do that faithfully over a lifetime, it just makes all the difference.
1: So for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with biblical headship, how would you define that, flesh that out scripturally?
0: Uh head headship is just a term that we take from the Greek word kephale, which means literally head. <laughs> but um just like in English the word head has kind of a literal meaning and a symbolic meaning. It 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 does so also in scripture. It can talk about a literal head or it can talk about leadership. And so um, if I talk about the head of a corporation, we're talking about somebody who leads the corporation. Right. And so um, God has assigned a position of leadership to husbands within the family and within the co- the covenant family, within the covenant communi- community. And so um, um, when we talk about male headship, we're talking about just a position of leadership that God has appointed for husbands to have and then for qualified um pastors to have within the within the church and um and that men need to step up to that
1: hmm. and it's a servant hearted headship that you know I think that's something that's often confused is when we're talking about headship that you know people think authoritarian leadership and it's it it's not beating beating people over the the head with the fist, it's servant leadership you know over and over again. Well, Jesus the said, I didn't,
0: the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So that's our pat- pattern for headship. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jesus is our leader, and um, He's the one that we follow. He, we believe He's the Lord, right? But right. how did He do that? He came as a servant. Right. He put aside His own interests to pursue our salvation, and that's an analogy. It's not a one to one analogy, obviously, because men aren't sinless and perfect like Christ is. But it's an analogy that men are to think of their leadership not as a, an occasion to use for selfish purposes, but as an occasion to lay their lives down for, for other people. And so that's what we mean by it.
1: So, kind of shifting gears a little bit, I want to talk now about your vision going forward for CBMW. How do you plan on equipping the church? on these issues related to sexuality and, and marriage? and
0: Well, I do think that because these issues on gender in particular and sexuality in particular are so contested today, um, evangelicals need to have a very clear biblical articulation of what our convictions are. And uh, this organization, CBMW, has been clear about you know, what manhood and woman is with respect to uh, marriage, leadership mm-hmm. in the home, uh, so roles in the home, right. and also when it comes to church leadership. right. And so there's a tremendous amount of resources that have come out of CBMW and CBMW-related authors to that effect. And, um, you know, our big book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, is a tremendous resource we have. But it's mainly concerned with expounding the Danvers Statement, which talks about what manhood and woman is in the church and in the home. This new challenge that we're facing is it is just broader and different. Mm-hmm. Right? So it has to do with manhood and womanhood. It has to do with God's purposes for marriage. But um it's more fundamental in terms of what is marriage? What is what did God create our sexuality for? What mm-hmm. does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And so you look at the transgender challenge today, right, and you look at the redefinition of marriage that's gone on in our culture. And you see that some of these more basic questions that were probably there was assumed. more of a yeah more yeah. of a cultural consensus 30 years ago when the Danvers statement was written. Um, our culture has has sort of come apart and, and redefined, and so um, you you find a lot of evangelicals in churches right now. A lot of times they call into CBMW. I would say the vast majority of times when they want a speaker or resources, what they're asking for is not as much about, you know, can a woman teach a man in church. What they're asking about is homosexuality and transgenderism. Right, yeah. What does the Bible teach us about this?
1: Yeah. And so... What um, makes a man a man? What makes a woman a woman? Yeah.
0: So I feel a special burden that our organization needs to go on record in trying to um, articulate a biblical vision on those things. So I think our theological vision already... Um, gives us guidance to think about, say, transgenderism and homosexuality. Mm-hmm. But we need to say something explicit about it. And mm-hmm. so a part of what my burden is in coming on as leader, as president of CBMW, is to try to draw together a coalition of evangelicals who can come up with a kind of a second statement, mm-hmm. not to get rid of Danvers, but to use in addition to Danvers that articulates a biblical vision on these things and that can be used as a conves- you know, language that would be... Um, useful for people drawing up confessions in their churches. and would be a point of unity for faithful biblical evangelicals, um, certainly in North America, but hopefully around the world.
1: And you're wanting to call this initiative the Biblical Sexuality Initiative.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it we're calling it the Biblical Sexuality Initiative, and it's going to be a process we're going through to draft a new statement and to get as many hands in the pot as possible <laughs> to help us and get feedback and to uh, sort of cast a vision for what the Bible says about these things.
1: Yeah. And we are working on a new website for this initiative, so stay tuned for that. Uh, if you are a pastor, a scholar, we would love for you to be involved. Just uh, contact myself or Denny, uh, email the CBMW office at CBMW office at CBMW.org. But anyway, stay tuned for more details on that, but we would love for as many pastors and scholars to be involved with this initiative as possible to to help draft this statement. And just why would this statement be so important for institutions and churches and and Christian organizations?
0: Well, because there's not there's not unity right now. In other words, evangelicals are still sorting through what their beliefs are on say sexual orientation. Um uh, on the transgender question. What does it mean to be a man or a woman? And um, you know, there are a lot of church mm-hmm. members who are like, "Well, what, am, what if I meet a transgender person? Am I supposed to use the pronoun?" In other words, people don't know how to think about these things. Yeah. And so we're trying to to, to build a coalition that would see that there is biblical unity, and that would see a kind of unified biblical witness to the most pressing question.
1: If you enjoyed today's podcast, please visit us at
0: cbmw.org, where you will find more resources to equip you to think biblically. Again, thanks for listening.